Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Schooled Podcast. Um, today is going to be a great conversation. We have a wonderful guest. Her name is Marlene Francois. Um, she is what she calls herself a transformative social worker. She's also a therapist. She specializes uh, in in helping women and millennial uh women and girls, I should say. Well, millennials would be women. So um, she she specializes in helping girls and millennial women. Um, And she does really, really great work and has an amazing resume. So Marlene, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I am Marlene. I have a family practice located in northern New Jersey. So I specialize in working with women and teen girls that have depression, anxiety, work-life balances, childhood traumas that they're trying to get through. So that's literally the work that I've been doing. I've been in this field for about 13 years now, and I just love mental health, love being all, all things self-care. So it's literally what I live by. I practice it daily. So self-care just has been my thing, and just like being able to live out as far as like how you need to have a healthy mental health. And why, why this specialty or, or focus on uh, young girls and millennial women? work I would say like my work in an educational career path when I've been doing internships and working I noticed that for me I thrive most when I'm working with teen girls and and women I remember when I was a teen I really didn't have that outlet as far as who to go to to talk to which is pretty much my family and my friends but I felt like if I had a therapist I probably would have been able to navigate things a little bit better in life so I noticed that for me working with teens has been like something that helps me to to not just helps me but helps them as far as like through life, and so many people find that teens are difficult to work with. And also, I'm a millennial, so I know some of the challenges that we go through as millennials, especially a lot of millennials now, they're just not working a nine to five. They have their side hustle, passion project, they're transitioning. And I'm so raising my hand right now. <laughs> what happened? I said, I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. So, all of those challenges, you know, trying to burst up, trying to level up. But then you feel like, okay, how do I maintain a healthy, balanced life? And sometimes as millennials, you know, you're just grinding hard. You're going and going and going with the team, no sleep mentality, but not recognizing some of the symptoms that you're dealing with and what you're going through as far as your body changes and mentally, what are you telling yourself? So I feel like for me as a therapist and someone who's a millennial, I'm able to, I know what it's like to be in that space, but also to be able to help other millennials that are in that space has been the area that makes me thrive the most. That's so cool. Um, so with that, you you have this practice. Um, tell me exactly, yeah. how, like, what it, it focuses on. Because I know, like, some practices focus on different things. I know you mentioned, like, depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. Is it more of a, of, of a motivational thing? Or are you more just, like, clinically treating people? Or is it a combination of the two? It's definitely a combination of the two. So clinically, I focus a lot on cognitive behavioral therapy and also mindfulness-based stress reduction. And for those that have trauma um, in their past, as far as adolescence, I do a lot of trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So clinically, I have the clinical background and training. I have my master's in social work. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So technically, you have to be trained in order to be able to work independently in in your own private practice. So it's part of that, and also there's the motivation and encouraging piece. So for me, I do a lot of it as far as, like, helping you goal set. Let's goal set. What are some strategies you need to put in place? Because what I find is that 
people have a lot of anxiety because they can't they can't get over some sort of hurdle or they have fear. So let's talk about the fear. What are what are those fear those fear states that you tell yourself and how we can channel that and change it and say something positive in that moment. So doing something we call cognitive reconstructing and teaching them how to reframe as far as some of the thoughts that they tell themselves that stop them from moving on to the next step. So in my practice, I do a lot of individual therapy and in the future, I will be offering group work for teens and for adult women. But a lot of my focus right now is working with, um, you know, people that have some sort of diagnosis. So whether it's major depressive disorder, maybe they have ADHD, maybe they have um, generalized anxiety disorder. So being able to work with them as far as identifying some of their triggers, knowing what their symptoms are, what are some thoughts you have, your feelings. So going all over all of that, developing a treatment plan and coming up with coping skills. So doing all the clinical side of things, but also making sure that I'm putting it in layman terms for them because, you know, my clients are a therapist. So you got to put it in terms that they can understand. And so I have like a white poster board in my office that I write things on to kind of help them. Okay, let's talk about this. How are we going to get to you from point A to point B? Mm. I love it. I love it. So one of the things um, that I think is really, I guess, something that a lot of us struggle with um, as millennial women, depending on where you are in life, is is this idea that, you know, we're never good enough. We um, we always have to be, I guess, striving to be something else or someone else or fitting into the mold of either what someone else you know, wants us to fit into or, you know, what we think we should fit into. How do you counsel young women and girls, you know, in terms of being their authentic self and then using their authentic self to propel them forward? So that's definitely a great question. So what I like to do is have them identify what are some of your talents, your skill sets, the things that you're good at. So being able to find those characteristic traits that they can identify themselves with, whether they're doing that or t- taking some sort of personality test so we can see, you know, where you fit in as far as what you're good at, but also identifying is the fact that why do you feel that you're not good enough? And sometimes it may be some of the um, things that people told them in their past. So they may have had things that have, have happened in their childhood, whether their parents felt like, you know, that wasn't good enough. So because of that, that resonated with them as far as into their adulthood where they constantly are going and going and going. going. So they're doing things, but they're not feeling happy. And they feel like, okay, well, once I get that, I will be happy. And, but then once they reach that moment, they realize they're not happy. So that's part of the arrival fallacy where you feel like, okay, when I reach there, everything will be fine. But you realize when you get there, you're still not happy. And part of what happens is that as people are in that moment where they're striving for something, they're already thinking about the next move, the next thing they need to do. So then they have a difficult time with being present in the moment to embrace where they're at in their journey. So whether they have a failure or a success that happens, they're not able to they're not able to truly enjoy it because they're constantly on the go. So one of the things I like to do is teach them as far as mindfulness-based stress reduction skills. So learning how to like, you know, practice deep breathing and how to do activities where you can kind of be present in the moment so you can enjoy where you're at without having to think about the next step. Of course, you know, there's a difference between between being still and being stagnant. So identifying what those are too, but identifying the fact that, okay, I can make mistakes. I could chill for a minute. I don't have to keep rushing and keep going on with life because sometimes all of those moves that they're making can increase their anxiety. Mm. So how do you do that? Like, how do you 
I mean, because we're taught, right, that we need to be constantly striving and moving forward. And we're also we also know that, like you said, we should also appreciate this moment and really make every moment right now count. Where's the balance? Like, where do you find that balance? So the balance is looking at establishing self-care days. So having moments sometime in your schedule. So whether it's remembering, okay, I need to eat three meals a day. I need to work out X amount of times a day. I'm going to drink water. I might find one day a week where I get my nails done. So finding some sort of balance. And it's going to look different for every person. You have people that are night owls. They can work at 4 o'clock morning. Then you have other people where they're early birds. Like they wake up early in the morning at 4 o'clock. So finding out, okay, what is your schedule? Let's look at your schedule. How can we reprioritize your schedule? And then looking at some of your symptoms. So you may have someone that complains every single week. They feel like they're getting a cold, they're getting sick, they're getting sick, and not recognizing that may be their way of, of their stress is coming up. You know, or you may have someone else, they feel like, oh, I'm constantly, you know, lashing out at my partner. I'm constantly lashing out at, at um, those that are around me, my friends. And so identifying, okay, why is that happening? Is there a lack of balance somewhere in your life? So being able to see, okay, well, how can I balance my life out? So let's look at my schedule. Where do I put in self-care days or moments of self-care? So that way I can still embrace, you know, this point of, I can embrace where I'm at during a day and kind of counting your list of gratitudes and things that you're grateful for that day, but at the same time still working towards accomplishing new goals. I love that. I know for me personally, it's such it's such a challenge because I know all of this. I know everything you're saying. I've read it and, you know, a number of books and listened to a number of gurus and experts. But just the day-to-day struggle of, you know, feeling like you're doing enough or that you're not falling short. I feel like I'm constantly inundated with messages in society that tell me the opposite of how I should feel, which is exactly what you described. How do you think um, – you know, young girls and millennial women are impacted by, I guess, the, the not just social media, but media in general these days and the messages that we see and we receive um, about really women and girls on a, on a daily basis. And how does that impact their mental health? It does have an impact on their mental health because it, a lot of people feel anxious, um, so sometimes people wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is they grab their phone, they start scrolling, start checking their emails and all these notifications and pop up, pop up, pop up on their phone. And then it just makes them, it makes them so anxious. And make you look at something like, oh, wow, um, she has this promotion going on and I didn't get the promotion or her business growth seven figures and here I'm struggling just trying to get a client. So they see all these things that are happening and they're really comparing. And, and I've heard this phrase a million times where you're, you're, you're comparing your journey to someone's filtered image on social media. And people don't recognize that. They constantly go through this comparison game. And what I tell people, okay, well, look at what you're comparing yourself against and ask yourself, why do, why, why do I feel the need to compare? And also figure out what is it, where are you lacking? the ability to be content in your mo- in your moment as far as where you're at. And so, you know, the media, there are so many messages out there as far as what we should be doing. You know, at such and such age, you should have this, then you should have this. Yes. All these material things and yes. the house, the car, the man, and, you know, Sally Mae shouldn't be calling you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, you have all these things that the media is telling you. So when you look at all that, 
you start to look at where you're at and you're like, oh, wow, I'm not even there yet. So I'm not good enough. And what happens is I like to call it the train of thoughts, the negative train of thoughts, where it starts from one thought pattern you have where you look at what's out there and you say, wow, I don't have that. And it goes into one negative thought after the other. So you start telling yourself, I'm not good enough. What's the point? I shouldn't even work on that project. You know, no one's going to care. And then all of a sudden, you feel like you're not making the move that you thought you were going to make that day because you're looking, you're, you're, you're comparing your chapter one to the chapter 12 that you see out there, as people like to call it. Mm. So then you end up feeling like stuck that. in that moment. Yeah, you feel stuck. And then your thoughts are telling you, like, what's the point, right? Don't even, like, what's the point of writing the introduction at this point? Like, that person has a first your book author. There's no point of you even working on your content. Move on to something else. And then you move on to something else and the same thing happens. And then you go on from one thing to the next and never complete the first thing you want to start with. So that's why I tell people it's important to kind of just pause in that moment. And if you have to create boundaries around social media or things in the media, so magazines that you're reading, you know, things that are happening in the news, uh, whatever it is, if you have to take a pause from, from something for a week or two so you can kind of focus, then that's okay. So true. I mean, I I definitely can relate. And I I definitely think, um, you know, how do you say it? It's not as if you don't want to succeed. But I find myself these days caring less about my level of success and more about my happiness in the present moment. And I say that because what I've personally realized is that if I am not happy, then what I'm doing does not feel as good or successful. And it may be my passion. It may be the thing I love to do. Yeah. But if I'm not, if my personal happiness is not a priority, then it doesn't matter as much to me. Um, and it, and it got, I, I only recently came to that realization, but I, I guess I realized for the majority, you know, of my young career, I had been working towards something and only focused on that and never took time to actually enjoy my, my, what it is I was working on, if that makes sense, you know, like you're, you're, you're working towards a goal, but you're not enjoying the process of getting to that goal because we're taught that the goal is what matters most. But Mm -hmm. if that's the Mm -hmm. case, well, first of all, that's a fallacy because certain people are never satisfied. (laughs) So you'll always be working towards something and you'll never be satisfied with, you know, what you get, even when you get what you want, because you're, you're already thinking about the next goal and the next achievement. But that's another, you know, another category of people. But then beyond that, once you get to that goal, you know, you spent so much time either agonizing over what you don't have or where you're not in life or what could be that is not that, you're not even happy, you know, by the time you yeah. actually achieve what you want. And, and that happened to me when people were saying, oh, you, you know, you've done so well and you've gotten, you know, this far. And I would say, I don't feel that way. And it wasn't because it wasn't true. It was because I just I wasn't satisfied and I wasn't and I wasn't happy because I didn't know how to like just enjoy, you know, the, the journey rather than achievement in and of itself. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of people struggle with that because because what happens is the process is not where you get affirmed. You get affirmed when you complete something. That's when everyone is just like excited. It's like, congratulations. Yes. And, you know, all the excitement that comes with with um, posting 
where you're at, right? So if you look at if you look at Instagram, Instagram is very popular for millennials, and people are posting as far as like something they've accomplished. Like today, I quit my nine to five, or I just got this new opportunity, or this happened here, and so people get excited about that, but they have no idea as far as the process that took them there. For instance, like if someone had a keynote speaking engagement at like commencement or whatever like that, you know, call it at a graduation, and people get excited about that, but not knowing, okay, well, I had to miss two trains to get there. My flight was delayed. I had a flat tire on the way there. I lost my whole spouse. No one knows that moment because they're not talking about it because we are taught to not talk about our failures. Mm. Our failures produces shame and a lot of guilt for some people because they feel like if they talk about their failures or where they're at in the process because it's not moving rapidly, that people are going to hold them against it and say, oh, well, you know, she's dealing with that, rather than embracing where they're at in the journey and being vulnerable, because that's how you produce your authentic self, is just by letting people know, okay, this is the process of how I got there, and, you know, your journey may not look like that, but this was my journey, and I can appreciate the final product because of the process. So with that said, how do you think those pressures impact the mental health of women and girls, especially millennials, uh, millennial women, differently than perhaps their male counterparts or generations before them? Several factors. So like for, for a lot of women, I find that, you know, in the workspace, depending how you work, depending what type of setting you're in, if you're in a setting where it's a corporate setting and it's male-driven, then you feel like you constantly have to put your stuff out there and you feel like you're working like 100% times harder than your male counterparts. So all of that can produce some anxiety because then you feel like I have to constantly prove myself to people because I may be talked over, I may not be valued as much. So it, it impacts their mental health because then you get you get home and then it's like, who do I talk to about what I'm going through? Who, who Where's my outlet? Does anyone else understand what I'm going through? So then you kind of feel like you're impacted in that way because you don't have the space to talk about what you're going through. Or sometimes what I find is that, for especially for teen girls, they don't know how to, how to identify what they're feeling. So the behavior is there. So parents will also will complain about, oh, my daughter's slamming doors. You know, she's not, you know, when I talk to her and ask her a simple question, she's rude. Um, she's not waking up out of her bed. She's not eating her meals. So they'll identify all of these behaviors but not recognize, okay, is it depression? Is it anxiety? What is it? They have no idea because the daughters are just like, I'm fine. But then they're not really talking about their emotions because they don't know how to identify it and not recognize, okay, what what was attached to it that caused me to get to this place? So, um, you know, being able to help people throughout that journey as far as like, okay, this is why your mental health is impacted, whether it's through social media or through um, relationships with other people that you have. So, um, I find that it's challenging for 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 women and girls to kind of like understand what they're going through and and having other people to validate it because um, it's a space where they probably weren't allowed to kind of talk about their feelings and their right. frustration, so they kind of just hold it in right. and you just push it under the rug. And everybody else is like, "You got this pile up under your rug," and you're like, "No, I'm good. I'm good. Everything is fine." And you keep going and going and going and going and going until you crash and burn. And then when you get crash and burn, looks different with different people, whether it's panic attacks or it could be depression. For some people, they get to that place where they feel extremely overwhelmed, and then they're like, you know what, forget all of this. And now they're in their room, 
They're in their bed. They're isolating themselves from people. You don't really hear from them. They're sad. They're not really eating as much as they were eating before. They're feeling restless. So they get back to this space and they have no idea how they got there. And it's not until they get out of it and they're able to talk to someone about it to kind of figure out, okay, how do I get to this space and what can I do to prevent this from happening again? Mm. Yeah, so true. And then I guess also, how does that how does that impact the dynamic between, you know, spaces involving the two sexes, right? So whether it's a workspace involving, you know, mm-hmm. millennial, and I ask this because it's very difficult for young women to assert themselves in the workplace. I had um, sort of a, a mm-hmm. mentor and a boss of mine, you know, if she would call call my desk and I'd answer the, the phone a certain way, she'd say, you need to be more authoritative. You need to, you know, sit up straight and yeah. you need to put some bass in your voice so people take you seriously. And when she first said that to me, it was shocking, right? Because mm-hmm. I never like had anybody – first of all, I never had anybody say that to me ever in any context. But then to, to I never thought of myself as seemingly weak, right? But it's because yeah. I was so afraid and diminutive when it came to you know my interactions with men. And a lot of that did have to do with what you were talking about, right? How we were raised and the sort of, I guess – a space we were allowed to express ourselves and, you know, not wanting to, um, you know, make too many waves sort of, sort of thing and not wanting to appear to be anybody's burden or, or appear to be weak, mm-hmm. you know, in a certain way. And then turns out, you know, it's all self-defeating because I was actually appearing that way anyway. And it wasn't until this, um, this well former boss of mine who we still keep in touch, um, you know, said these things to me that I really started – really being conscious of my interactions yeah. with people in in daily life, especially the workplace and especially with men. You know, I shook some, mm-hmm. some man's hand the other day that I was interviewing for a story I was working on. Um, and he was so shocked at like how, like how aggressive my handshake was. And it's, mm-hmm. and I said, well, it's because I was, I was told that I need to do this. So people take me seriously. So, um, but I digress. So, so in your opinion, like how, yeah. how did those things, you know, affect how women, especially young women interact with, with the opposite sex and just in daily life? It affects them a lot because sometimes while they're in their presence, they have this fear and so they just don't talk up. Or you have the opposite where women are learning to be assertive and as they're being assertive, people are looking at them like, oh, you're being too aggressive. You mm. need to be quiet. This mm-hmm. is not the space for that. Or um, they get complaints sent to HR about them because they were being assertive. Or um, I heard a story once of someone was saying that they were being, you know, their personality, they're very assertive. They were being assertive and, and, and all that. And then the intern had an issue with it, how assertive they were and made a complaint to the supervisor rather than going to them directly to saying like, hey, you know, this is how it kind of felt when you said this. And, and now the supervisor is asking her to apologize to the intern when she didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. it's like when you are assertive people, when you are assertive in certain spaces and people, they they, they, they're kind of um, shocked by how you're presenting. They're just like, oh, well, I need to make a complaint because you're being rude. You're not being respectful. But that's not the case. And and what I find is that, you know, women, women have, there's a tough balance. Like trying, like how much, how much can I be assertive? And not just assertive, how much can I be my authentic self and be who I am without having a code switch all the time? Oh, code switch. So, can you tell people what that means? Because that is so important. <laughs> <laughs> so code switching is 
how I keep it in my group chat. But when it's on a workspace, I can't do that. But maybe in a workspace, I'm not really being my authentic self, and I'm kind of just, like, saying, like, talking about things that I'm not interested in just to please the opposite race, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know Nike's a whole big deal this week. Maybe I'm going in, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy me some Adidas this week. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, saying things like that, right? So um, sometimes people code switch in a workspace because they feel like, okay, I have to fit in or I have this big promotion coming up and I have to present a certain way. So what I find is that sometimes people change their appearance in the workspace. So maybe if you, um, like a woman, they may change their hairstyle and maybe hesitant with, you know, maybe cutting their hair down or wearing their fur out or having certain piercings. Of course, you know, some jobs have, you know, regulations as far as dress code and policy, but sometimes people will downplay who they are just to fit in in the moment. And that even falls with being assertive. They may not be assertive in the moment because then other people will look at them and think that they're being too aggressive. And then they may lose out on an opportunity that they really wanted, or they may be sitting in a board meeting and they have these awesome ideas. They could speak up about something, but then they choose to just sit back and fall back about it and not talk about something. So true. And I mean, I feel like to a certain degree, we all code switch, right? Because what is appropriate at home oftentimes is not appropriate in our workspace. And then even Mm -hmm. if it might be a little appropriate, you don't want to get too comfortable. But what you're talking about is a different dynamic where people are taught, some people, often women and girls are taught to not be their authentic self regardless in any setting, right? And especially not out in in public. Um, And that's why I thought it would be great for you to explain because not everybody, maybe people understand the concept of code switching, but they they couldn't put like a term to the actual action of it. Um, Yeah. I think though, and I guess we should end on a positive note. One of the amazing things about being alive in 2018 is just how many awesome female leaders we see in all sectors of society, government, you know, private Mm -hmm. sector, um, entertainment, all of that. But again, you know, we also can get caught up in in idolizing people who are just human beings. Um, What do you who do you give, um, if, if anybody? as examples to your clients of, of, you know, positive, strong, female encouraging role models. And I ask that because I know outside of your work counseling, you do a lot of outreach, mm-hmm. you do a lot of volunteering, you've volunteered overseas, um, you do a lot of speaking yeah. engagements and, and motivational uh, speaking uh, engagements as well. So who do you try to use as examples to help hold women up? I always say, look at the Michelle Obama in your community. Because what happens is that, um, I know for me, I look at Michelle Obama, Oprah, look at all, you know, a lot of these women, but they're not in my reach. I can't call them because I don't have access to them. So I always tell people, it's good to look at, you know, people that are out there in the media, celebrities and, you know, these power change makers that are out there. But look in your, within your community to see if you can find that person and whoever that person is to connect with them and maybe possibly, you know, see if they can mentor you. So I always tell people, look and see if you can find a change maker's right in your community. So whether they're the councilwoman, the congresswoman. So I'm in New Jersey, and my congresswoman is Bonnie Watson Coleman, doing some dope, amazing things. So I always tell people, look and see if you can find who those people are, and look to them as your role model. 
Because if we're look, if I look at Oprah as my role model, that's great and all, but I may I may end up feeling anxious, like, oh my gosh, I don't got a billion dollars in my account. That means I need to get back to work. If I'm looking at how hard Beyonce works at the Orange and Run tour, I may feel like I'm inadequate because she does a whole lot, but I know she has an entire team, and that's the thing. I want women to recognize that. Okay, um, can I find someone within my area, within my community, that I can look to um, as someone? that can help me to get to where I want to go. I love that. I love that because that means that, you know, not only is it somebody you can relate to, but it's somebody within reach. (laughs) You literally reach out and touch them. And people often think, especially young girls often think these larger than life figures, especially female role models and influencers are larger than life and, and unreachable and untouchable. But if but you're so right if you can find that person in your community who and, and I've and I can relate so much to that because there are people that I found like that in my life that I keep in touch with to this day um, from years ago and and growing up realized oh they're just they're just like me, you know, there's nothing actually yeah. that spectacular about them. But what was spectacular is that they were they were willing to make time for me, right? They were willing to give me guidance and mentor me and, and show me mm-hmm. a path that maybe I wasn't familiar with or didn't even know was possible. Um, and those can be some of the, the best motivators you, you will ever meet. So that's such a great point um, and something wonderful to yeah. end on. Well, thank you so much, Marlene, for joining us. This was so inspiring. Um, I think we should have you on again because I feel like there's so much oh, yeah. we didn't talk about. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and I just love the work you're doing. And maybe just, you know, as we end, just tell us about some of the side um, things you do outside of your counseling work, some of your charity um, work as well. Yes. So for me, I have an organization where um, we do personal professional development with teen girls. So this year, well, 2018, 2018, we actually did some brunch brunch tour with teen girls. So we were in New Jersey, New York, Philly, and the D.C. area. And we just targeted teen girls because I love to brunch. And being able to have an outlet where they can talk about stressors, sexuality, Black Lives Matter, bullying, and just talk about these issues because not everyone has a space to sit down on a therapist's couch. So being able to have that where they can mingle with one another. So that was something that I worked on this year. Um, and because we're in the last, we're hitting the last quarter, the only thing I'm working on right now is being able to launch my planner that I've created for therapists and mental health professionals. And hopefully next year I'll get back into gear with um, things as far as like events for teens and for mental health professionals. Awesome. And just once again, where can people find you on social media or just online in general? They can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website at Marlene Francois. So it's M-A-R-L-I-N-E Francois, F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. Perfect. Thank you, Marlene, for joining us. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. And again, you can find us, uh, School Podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at School Podcast for all three. Have a wonderful day. Bye.